0: Good old. blood
1: want to welcome you this evening, and we hope that you'll just uh, come expecting and just enter into a place of worship before Brother Barry comes with the word.
0: The trial of this world was getting closer. The pull I felt was more than I could Just giving over The strength within myself Just wasn't there Oh, but something keeps holding He's guiding me constantly and giving me victory Oh He's a reality Oh something keeps holding Me his temptation. And guiding me constantly Giving me victory He's a reality Oh, something keeps holding me Yeah, something keeps holding To overcome my trials and guiding me constantly, giving me victory. Oh, He's a reality, and something keeps holding. Me. and keeps in
1: me. Amen. Let's put it in the key of E-flat. Let's sing that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus before we take our needs before the Lord.
0: Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus and all uh, Our sins and griefs to bear And what not carry everything to God in prayer and have we trials and temptations is there trouble in
1: that softly. We just want to go before the Lord with a few prayer requests, and uh, we just want to remember uh, Anderson Pritchard this evening. He is uh, dealing with some sinus issues, so we just want to remember him. And if I could have uh, Brother David come at this time uh, after I finish reading these. We just want to remember Brother Keith, who is at work, uh, is working this uh, this evening, so we just want to remember him. Also, the drums are at home so if we could just remember them. Also, just remember Brother Jonathan Mayall. Uh, he's not with us this evening. Also, Hannah Whitlock and Brother Ethan McCafferty both are sick at home, so we just want to remember them and the families. And also, I have here that uh, Sister Karen and Sister Kristen are away and not with us. So if we could just remember them. And if you could just remember a few uh, special unspoken uh, requests for myself and my family, if you would just keep us in prayer. And I know we all have unspoken prayer requests so just by the lifting of your hands the Lord knows those needs. And at this time too as Brother David come if I could have the ushers come forward and we'll go ahead and have that prayed over as well.
2: Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father we just thank you for this opportunity dear Lord to come middle of the week. to Come into your house to eat from your table dear lord we just come humbly before you dear lord lifting up those that are afflicted in the flesh and in the body dear lord We just ask you to go to each and every one of them dear lord even now dear lord and give them a relief of their symptoms send the comforting angel to them dear lord and restore them back up where they can come back into your house dear lord and praise you for it we just ask you to be mindful, dear Lord, of the special, unspoken prayer requests, dear Lord. As there many are the afflictions of the righteous, dear Lord, and you know each and every need. And we just ask you to grant provisions and and special just for those to work out for your glory, dear Lord. We just ask you to uh, anoint our ears to hear what we have need of tonight. We just ask you to. Speak to us this evening, dear Lord, that we may go away different, changed, dear Lord. We just ask you to anoint Brother Barry, to get out of the way for you to speak through him. We just pray for these tithes and offerings, that they go forth to do your work, dear Lord. We just give this evening into your hands, dear Lord. We just love you and we thank you for it all. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.
1: Thank you. And if you would just remain standing, we're going to go ahead and hand it over to Brother Barry this evening. Let's just sing that song as he comes, Turn Your Eyes, keep it in the same key.
0: Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. in the light.
3: pray let me give you just a couple of requests here that have been given to me uh just in the last minute there uh, brother precious over in malawi uh whom you've not met uh he was diagnosed on monday with malaria got bit by the wrong mosquito and uh he is uh, was in serious condition but uh he's doing better so i would ask you if you don't mind just to remember him in prayer Uh, Brother and Sister Smith just sent in a prayer request, and uh, she has her nerve burn on uh, 1015 on September 27th. And uh, she asked that we would remember them in prayer uh, September 27th. Um, Some of you know uh, Sister Anna's grandmother, Sister Skaggs, who's been here before, John Skaggs' mother. she was in a head on collision. She was driving a car yesterday it was in a head on collision with a boy who was eighteen years old had fallen off to sleep three thirty in the afternoon and uh, Sister Fiddler was the other sister who was there. Uh, she was killed, and uh, Sister Skaggs was in hospital went through the surgery well today, as far as I understand and uh, they had to reconstruct her ankle Uh, she has a number of other issues that they're dealing with and so um, we'd ask you just to remember sister skaggs in prayer and um, that's certainly a traumatic thing for her to have gone through in the family but uh, we're just going to pray that the lord will undertake for them let's bow our heads together and just believe now that he hears you when you speak to him and speaking to him in the quietness of your heart just reach out to him now in faith Heavenly Father, you hear all of these needs that have been mentioned, Lord, that Mitchell and myself have presented before you. Lord, we are comforted by this one fact that, Lord, we can never overwhelm you, that we can never bring too much to you. But you're a God who cares about everything we go through, and you have an answer in every situation and for everyone who comes to you in faith. Lord, we don't always understand why certain things happen. We don't understand, Lord. How certain situations develop and find ourselves where we are. But Lord, we are where we are, and it is what it is. So, Lord, we're just going to say that we trust you tonight and we love you with all of our heart. We're thankful that we have you to turn to, Lord, because we'd certainly feel empty and lost if we had nowhere to turn. We give ourselves to you afresh tonight now, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I commit. The assembly, Lord, all those who are listening tonight, those who are sick and listening, we commit them into your hands tonight. In faith, believing, Lord, that you're going to do a great work. And, Father, as you've laid things upon my heart for tonight, I just pray now that you would stir the hearts of your people that are here. And, Lord, those who are listening, and may, Father, we be real doers of the word, that we might live in a way that pleases you. We give you the service. Pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, take complete control for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Proverbs chapter 18. Let's take a look tonight. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate uh, them being there uh, tonight. Reminder that uh, 11 o'clock Sunday we'll have service, right? This is it. This is the big Sunday Sunday. Uh, September 19th, and school, Sunday school will begin at 10-15. If you're unclear about any of that, you make sure you let me know, okay? And uh, we'll answer any questions that you might have. But you should have got an update that had uh, kids' names on it and where they are. And uh, Sunday, Sunday service will be at 11. Good to have Ethan and Anna with us. I uh, feel like I haven't seen them in a the coon's age, and uh, great to have them here uh, tonight. The second most important decision in life is what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, I'd like to read in Proverbs 18, chapter, uh, the 18th chapter and verse 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. How many of you men can say amen? May, you may be seated. God bless you, all of you. It is good to be back. Um, I, will, I won't go into details about things happening over there in that part of the world, but uh, it was certainly uh, very profitable for me to be there. And uh, first time since 2009, Uh, being over there, I think I've included some of the pictures to you, Uh, and it was very uh, moving to hear the stories of the brothers and all the different things that have gone on over the last uh, so many years, and especially to people who have come through war and uh, seeing members of their congregations killed, uh, neighbors killed. They talked about bombs exploding in the uh, perimeter of their churches, and uh, one church was taken over completely by the militia. They gave them 15 minutes to get all their stuff out of the church and took it over. And uh, their stories of enduring that and all that they went through was just absolutely amazing. Um, it was uh, uh, quite an extraordinary time just to be able to sit down and, and to uh, you know, listen to everything that was there. <clears throat> I want you to lock in with me tonight because we're going to talk uh, a little bit about this second most important decision in your life. The most important decision in your life is that decision that you make when you turn your life over to Christ. I think you'd agree that uh, based on all we know, that that is the most important decision that a person can make. And Brother Branham, uh, in many, many, many different statements, he says that if God could have thought of anything better that he could have given you in life, he said outside of salvation, the next best thing would be a wife. And so therefore, this this is what I, I refer to as the second most important decision in life, is who you'll marry. It is the one decision that you never can back up on. You can backslide in, in serving God. The way of a transgressor is hard, but you can do that. But you can't back up on your decision over who you marry. And so it becomes a very critical decision. It's a very important one. And uh, I, I want to focus on this for a couple of different reasons tonight, and one of them is that there's an obvious elephant in our room, and I want to make sure that everybody is really clear about what the Bible says and what the message teaches about this subject. And I want you to be very clear about what I think about this subject, and uh, I want to lay this out in a very clear and concise way so that there's no ambiguity, there's no uh, There's no. Uh, uncertainty about this. And I told my Sunday school class uh, that this is really a class that would be for them. Uh, But I'm going to do it with everybody because I think it's really profitable for parents to sit and hear uh, some of these things that we talk about. And I think that for you that are, uh, you know, ahead of the game, in other words, you don't have kids that are uh, marrying age and involved in that. I think it's really good for you to hear the language when your children are young and train them up in the way they should go so that they understand from an early age what God's standards are. Now, when I say God's standards, I'm talking about things that are found in the Bible and things that are found in the message. And and to me, they are God-breathed. And if it's God-breathed, you better pay attention. There's no skirting around the issue or debate if it's God-breathed. God, God breathed. If God said it, and God said it through a prophet, then it is, to me, it is essential. It's not uh, optional. It's essential that we pay attention. Brother Branham focused on certain things. He talked about, uh, you know, certain aspects of holiness. Uh, he talked about different doctrinal issues. He talked about uh, lots of different things related to life and family and home and relationships. He did all of that. But this is an issue as well that he dealt with. There's no particular sermon that he uh, outlines. Well, this is how a young person should find a a wife, you know, per se. That he dedicated a whole one particular sermon to it. But he uh, he gave us uh, keys all the way through in his ministry and pointed us to scriptures that help us to understand exactly, uh, you know, what his feelings were on it and his revelation. And and that revelation matters a lot to me. And I hope that it matters to you. I would probably summarize all of that and say this, that Jesus is the same today as he was back then. This is a sermon contending for the faith. Do you believe that? Stop for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe that the Bible is an absolute You believe the message was sent by God for us? Yes. Do you believe Brother Branham was a prophet of God? Yes. It's really easy to say yes, and there's a lot of people who are saying yes. I'm not talking about you here. There's people who are streaming, who are listening, and people who, uh, you know, would agree with that. And on any given day, they would agree with that. But there is a bit of a, uh, a problem that. We have, not just here, and I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody or I'm not picking on uh, our congregation here. But there's a problem in that we've come to a place of independence and independently minded young people where they, they feel like there's a number of things now that are debatable, that are optional. I don't really have to do it unless I agree with this and I feel like this is something that's, uh, you know, in tune with how I feel and how I, how I believe. And I would tell you this quite categorically, that if you're heading down that road, I would be very, very careful about that, very careful, because it's not me you have to deal with at the end of the day. It's not me that you had to worry about at the end of the day. If this word and this message is given to us by God, and it is indeed God-breathed, and if the Bible is indeed an absolute whereby all arguments are ended, then you're really going to have to deal with the one who authored the Bible in the first place when you come down to the end of the road. And here's the way I found this statement. I thought it was really good. Jesus is the same today as he was then, as it was on the earth. And if you're an unbeliever, you cast it aside like the Pharisees did and walk away like they did. Can you imagine what it would be what it would be like for a, somebody who sat there and under the teaching of Jesus and then got up and say, hmm, well, I agree, I like this, but I don't like that. You sure wouldn't want to take their place tonight where they're at. You'd want to take those place. You'd want to take those place who loved him. But there are people who are making choices and I find it incredible that people are following feelings and following their own uh, ambitions and their own desires when it comes to God's word. And you know what? It really doesn't matter whether it's on this topic or another topic. To follow your own thoughts and cast aside the things that Jesus said, you don't want to be where they are. You don't want to wind up where they wound up. You want to take your place with those who believe. So it's an easy thing for you to say that you believe. And I believe you believe. Because you said, you told me you believe. Well, let me tell you, God is not fooled at all by what we say and what comes out of our mouth. He's more impressed with how you live. Now, there's three principles I want to give you tonight, very quickly, before we get into this. And number one is, is that I I maintain the right and responsibility as a pastor to do what is right from this pulpit. I want to say this from the outset. I don't feel threatened about that at all. Not at all. Uh, If I did, I'd preach a very different sermon tonight. But I believe I have a right and responsibility to preach what's true to you as believers. And I believe that's why you're here, because you want to hear the truth. But let's use an example that I have used before that uh, makes sense here, okay? I believe that parents have a right and a responsibility, not just a right, but a responsibility. And not just a responsibility, but they have a right, at least at this point in our government standing, to, defi- to define and maintain a standard in their home. I think parents have that right and that responsibility as believers to define and maintain a standard in their home. Do you agree with that? I believe that uh, parents have a right and a responsibility to communicate that standard to their children clearly so that their children can understand it so that they're not punishing somebody blindsided. Okay? So I think it's, I think it's fair to teach your children what the uh, standard is so that they can know when they're outside the boundary, right? Because all of us at times get outside the boundary. There, I believe that there's a right and a responsibility for uh, parents to teach biblical principles and to teach them by modeling them, to teach them by, uh, you know, all the different methods we have available to uh, teach our children. And I believe that parents have a right and a responsibility to be involved in the relationships that their children develop over, the, over their years. I'm counseling a woman right now who was abused by her grandfather and her uncle and a and a, a sports coach the, the same girl in a period of about 10 years and she is still dealing with the scars deep scars and wounds that uh that were involved uh you know in those actions over over her years it's messed up her life it's messed up her marriage and it's really a shame that her parents were not involved in the relationships in her life it's really a shame now Let's just, I'm not going to go through all of these. We, we could, and, and that'd be a great session. But let's just say in number one, just to give you an example, parents have a right to define and maintain standards. In other words, we're going to decide, are we going to be involved in sports, just recreational, or are we going to uh, you know, get into this big time? where kids are enamored with sports heroes and uh, they start missing church because of sports or whatever else, we, we're going to make that decision. And we're going to make decisions about dress and what's appropriate. We're going to make decisions about music or media or makeup or whatever else. All of those things we're going to discuss, and we're going to draw a line. We're going to make a standard. And we've got lots of material to draw from in creating a proper standard, and we have a right to do that as parents, right? Right? we could also say too that we're going to guide our children in their uh their friendships who they're involved with and who they're not involved with and why not i think that's an important thing right because uh that's going to be a big influence in children's life especially as they get older we we also uh, as parents we're concerned about our our children's level of responsibility their ability to accept responsibility And to obey instructions and to follow orders. Whether it's a chore they're given to, uh, you know, sweep the patio or whether they're going out on their first job, uh, in the grocery store and, you know, uh, gathering the iron donkeys out there or whatever else, uh, we're gonna train them in the way that they should go. How to spend their time wisely doing their school. How, uh, you know, their direction in life and the atmosphere they create in their room and in their space. All of those things we're going to become involved in. And then, of course, future serious relationships, the relationships that count for life. As believers, I mean, all these things would be high on our radar, wouldn't they? All these things would be important to us. And I believe very strongly in your right and your responsibility... Uh, to participate in all of this and be involved in all of that. matter of fact, I teach that. I've done that for 35 years from the pulpit. I've taught that. I've emphasized that. I've done it here. I've done it in family camps all over the world. Uh, I've done it in counseling, private counseling. I've done it in every, uh, every opportunity I, I get to open my mouth. I've done it all over the world because I think it's important. It's not the only thing that we talk about, but it is an important thing for us to talk about. But let's do the same thing now and apply it to pastors here. Again, I need you to understand I don't feel threatened at all uh, when I say these things, not at all. But I just want you to understand the context from which I'm speaking tonight. Number one, I believe it's the right, I have a right to define and maintain a standard. How many are thankful for a message standard? Not a half message standard, but hey, we believe the message. The responsibility to communicate that message and its standards and its principles and its doctrines and everything that goes with it, communicate that to the people so that you know where you stand with God. It's not my job to tell you what to do because I'm not the Holy Ghost. It's not my job to say, well, all right, I'm going to preach this and everybody has to conform to it. That isn't my job. I believe my job is to give you the whole counsel of God. I believe I, uh, any pastor has a responsibility to teach Bible principles. That what we teach is not just what I want. What I teach is not just what I feel is right. I believe that I have responsibility to be able to take, and you have the right to be able to take whatever is taught and bring it back and find it in Scripture. And if it's not there, you have a right to lay it aside. And I mean that very very sincerely. Brother Branham said the same thing. And I think that uh, there should be a willingness... Uh, on the part of uh, a pastor and his wife to be involved in the relationships that go on in the church and uh, you know obviously again our job is not to matchmake our job is not to uh, you know become o- overtly involved why I, some of you are laughing quite strongly I, that's that's not our uh, interest at all but I will tell you that when um whenever uh, you know, if, uh, young people are coming together and considering marriage, or when a young couple is engaged, or when they're newly married, uh, I think it's nice to have some, uh, interaction with the pastor. I think it's nice to have some involvement there. Uh, it, it, it's different levels for different people, but nonetheless, uh, that's something that a pastor to me should be concerned about. Are we alright? So Brother Branham says, uh, and, and this is referring to the scripture that I just referred to, he said, may the Holy Spirit take the word right straight to your heart where it's meant to be. May the Holy Spirit take the word. So in other words, it's not my job to make you do what the Holy Spirit or what the Bible says. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take the word straight to your heart where it's meant to be. I'm talking to believers now, right? I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers that if it's preached correctly, then I trust the Holy Spirit will take that word and embed it in your heart in such a way that it will grow and become great strong trees in your life. So that you might know that if I never see you again at the day of judgment, I want to be free from all men's blood. That I have not shunned, said the apostle of old, to declare unto you the counsel of God. Here's the scripture, Acts chapter 20. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the Church of God with He has which He has purchased with His own blood. I believe that God cares very greatly about you and every member of the Church, every member of the Bride around the world. I believe He's very very concerned about her, and I believe He's doing everything uh, that he, everything that is prophesied and, and ordained for Him to do to get the Bride from here to there prepared. Because it's not just going over when we feel like it; it's going over when God decides to shut this down, and everybody here is ready to step into that dimension over there. And I believe that God is at work doing that, and I believe He used the fivefold ministry to do that. And that's just the way it is. Now, um, <clears throat> the second thing that I want to talk about, and first of all, is this idea that uh, you know the 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 job that I have of presenting a biblical standard and a message standard uh, is pretty self-evident. I mean, if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? Or let's finish the sentence even more thoroughly. If I'm not doing that, what am I doing here? Get out of here and let's get somebody in here who preaches the message. The second thing I want to say is something that I think I don't need to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, and that is this. I believe God's word is an absolute. I believe it is the only absolute. And I believe that an absolute implies that what is stated under that absolute declaration is not up for discussion. All right, so here's Brother Branham, and there's hundreds of thousands of statements like this. I'll bring you one. We realize that we got an absolute here, and he was talking about the Bible. You know, we're talking about the, the Scripture. And he says the Supreme Court's decision is also is the absolute in this nation. He said that's the end of trials. That's the, all the farther you can go. You can go up through all of the different courts, but when you come to the Supreme Court, that's the end of the line. Now, sometimes we don't agree with them or don't like their decisions, but just the same, it's the absolute because the nation is tied to it. No matter if I said they're wrong, that don't make it wrong. In this nation, they're right. Let me stop for a minute and do this rallying cry. In this nation, the Bible is an absolute. In this nation, this is right. How many would agree? And if you don't line with this, you're not right. You're not. Whatever their decision is, it's right. Let me do another rallying cry. Whatever God's word says is right. And if you don't want to align with that, you're wrong. If and I'm not, a, I'm not sorry to hurt your feelings. I'm not, again, I'm saying general things. I'm not sorry to hurt your feelings, because I would rather stomp all over your feelings tonight and in the other parts of this than for you to face a righteous God who said, but you knew, you heard it, what more could I say? If there wasn't somewhere, if there wasn't an absolute somewhere, a trial would never end. Because people are not satisfied with the decisions. You know why people appeal courts? Is because either they have a righteous cause to see the thing go to the highest court, or they're not satisfied with the decision. And you know what? There are people today that are not satisfied with the decisions of God for people in terms of standards. They're not. They're not happy with it. You know what? So I'll. I'll, I'll go to another court. I'll keep going, and until I find somebody who agrees with me, I'll keep going. If there wasn't an absolute somewhere, trials would never end. There's nowhere else you can go because that's their highest court. I have this announcement to make, that there is no higher court for you to go to than to come back to the Bible. It used to be wrong to go to picture shows, you holiness people, see those bad plays. This is 1958. But the devil beat you to it. He put it on television and set it right in your house. And no wonder he said that police officers being shot at and stabbed and everything is standing on the corner with two guns. They see the stuff. They're raised into it. Here's the solution. You ready? It's time for the church to get out there and campaign and get in the government. That's not what he says. It's time for the church to take its position and come out of the things of the world. Because an opportunity does not imply the will of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Satan made an opportunity for you to be able to watch a picture show at home by having a TV in your house. That does not, that does not subvert God's Word. That doesn't change God's Word at all. It used to be wrong for Christian women in the holiness groups to wear short hair. What happened? It was wrong in the first place. It's wrong yet it used to be wrong, but something happened Now that something happened is what this is all about. What is it that we can define very clearly that something happened that's made this all of such a mess, and have people with such a independent idea that they can stand there and actually actually make? De- public declarations that... I don't agree with what Brother Branham said. I mean, I'd just run for cover if uh, if, <laughs> if I said that. If somebody said that to me in person, I'd want to step back a little bit because I'd be afraid of what would what might come. You know what I'm saying. It used to be wrong, but the devil made a way. So does that make it right? Because now you have a way that means, well, I I didn't go to the movie theater, but I saw the movie anyway. Well, I mean, now we've got the ultimate way, right? Because now you don't have to have a TV, and you don't have to have a movie theater, and you don't have to have, I mean, you don't have to have anything except your phone, and you got it all. So does that make it okay? All right, I I mean, and listen, listen, I want to say this tonight to you. I'm being very serious. If I've missed the boat here, I want you to tell me after church. I want you to, or call me or email me. And uh, am I nuts? Am I getting uh, old and senile? Am I am I missing the point? Am I too old fashioned? And I don't mind if you tell me because uh, I, I've 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 really been burdened over this. I've really laid before God over this, and I I'll tell you what. I, I just uh, to me it's either all or none here. We either believe it or we don't. If ye be risen with Christ, and seek those things which are above. If you're in the message, act like it. If you're in the faith, act like it. If you're a Christian, my goodness, act like it. How do we act? Well, the Bible is full of actions, instructions on how to act. I'm, I'm I'm not angry with you, but I'm angry at how over time things can change and people's attitudes can change. And all of a sudden, you're made to feel bad because you have a standard. Sorry. Uh I don't feel bad. All right, now, number three. So we talked about the right to, you know, maintain a biblical standard. Number two, uh we we talk about you know the, the idea of an absolute. It's gotta be an absolute. The trials don't end, questions don't end. The third thing is that I, I want to share with you very very quickly here uh is that Brother Branham uh recognized principles in the Bible in his preaching. Uh and a good preacher will do that. To recognize, um, okay. Uh, the word TV is not mentioned in the Bible, right? Television is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. So <laughs> it's okay. Well, it's not okay because we have principles in the Bible that condemn certain things and approve certain things, right? So, hey, just because you legalist, you know, you don't find a quote or a Bible verse in there doesn't mean that you have free reign to do whatever you want to, live like a heathen, Right? The principle is still true. Let me give you one example. There are many, many, and I use this all the time. You're you're numb to it because I, I do. I believe in this. I I learned. I went to school with Brother Branham. I went to school learning the message in the Bible, and I uh, this is the way I. The only way I know how to minister is this is this way. But I want you to look in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Paul says, "Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak." but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. I will give anybody a reward. If you can go back in the Old Testament and find me a verse there or a law, a legal statement made by God that says, Sister, thou shalt not preach. You won't find it there. Some of you are really thinking because you're wondering what is the reward. But they are commanded to be under obedience, not to be in a position of ministry in the church, as also sayeth the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. Now, this is a fitting example because we're going to find it later on here in, in our subject here. This is just shame for a woman to speak in church. It's absolutely out. There is no place for a woman uh, to minister in the church. All right, let's follow it a little bit. Uh, C.O.D., Brother Branham, is it not scriptural that women should... Not speak in church. That's a double negative. Uh, stay with me. Is it not scriptural that women should not speak in the church? Isn't it correct according to scripture that women shouldn't preach in church? He said that is true. It is not for women to be ministers and to speak in the church. Of course, all the church here, you people, you know this. He says, maybe a stranger in here, well, here it is. It's not right for a woman to be a minister. I'll just read it, and he reads the scripture we just read. Now, the law don't permit women priests and so forth back in them days. So because there was no place for a woman to have a ministry in the church or in the temple or in the sanctuary, then she has no right because she was given no place by God. That's a principle. Okay? Okay? Now, Brother Branham says, and he's referring to the same scripture again, he says, but today, what does the church do? They make her, they make the woman a pastor, an evangelist, and when the Bible completely forbids it, and the Bible said, as also saith the law, making it run in continuity, the whole thing. If the Bible is left stating what it states, and we're applying it as it's stated, then the Bible runs in continuity. The principles are true. They fit together. But what he's saying is that today, there's, there's another mindset here. And the mindset is in the church. And they make her. God does not, but they make her. Brother Branham did not, but they make her. And now, you know that once that door opens up, now you have lesbian evangelists. And you have lesbians you know, married together and all the rest of it. I mean, you have all that stuff that's, that's in the church there. And you're out of continuity with the Bible. You get one thing out of continuity, and there's all kinds of other things that follow out of continuity as well. So that's out. I hope every young man here in Jehovah Jireh number three, when he gets married, he'll get a wife and live as happy as a wife and I have these 22 years that we've been married. As the Bible said, he who has found a wife's found a good thing. It's our text. And Solomon said, a good woman is a jewel in a man's crown, and an unrighteous one is water in his blood. So when we talk about the second most important decision in your life, that's a very biblical idea because, I mean, that's going to affect everything for the rest of your days on this earth. So an unrighteous one is the worst thing he can get a hold of, and a righteous one is the best thing he can get a hold of outside of salvation. If God could have given a man a better thing than a wife, he would have given it to him because God loves to give his children good things. And he gave him a wife, and I'm thankful for it. And to see the women with the scripture, the way these Pentecostal dressing, wearing their hair and so forth, you say that don't make a difference. He said it sure does. And many times the the, you know the, the standards are dropped like that because ministers fail to articulate the standard. They fail to teach the standard. And we can make assumptions that everybody knows the standards and they they know what's required because, you know, we've taught it over and over again. But honestly, and I'll give give everyone the benefit of the doubt here tonight, but we have a new generation that's coming up. We have new parents with children, and I, I think it's important for us to make sure that the standard is heard. So... Uh, number one, forgive me if this, some of this is repetitive, and uh, forgive me if this doesn't always apply to you directly. Uh, I think it's still a, a part of the right and responsibility that I have. So all of the natural things, Brother Bram said, they reflect spiritual things. Natural things and spiritual things, they, they, they go together. Natural birth, and he talks about that. And then he says, we take, for instance, the marriage for union. So um, natural marriage, meaning a marriage between a man and a woman... We find out that the marriage then, it involves three things, a courtship, an agreement, and a marriage. So there's a, a phase where uh, a man views a woman and he, he goes into a mode of deciding whether that's the woman that he's going to choose for life because uh, courtship is all about one man, one woman for life. And that's, the way, that's essentially the definition of it. And then the agreement. The agreement is the vow. And the agreement comes after there's a period there where a boy and a girl get to know one another and then the marriage. Of course, we live that out and uh, that, that becomes uh, the, uh, the play for the rest of their life. Now, and Brother Random goes on and he says that, uh, you know, he types that to the spiritual. And he says that should settle it for all time. And he says same thing with Christ in the church. Love him. He says, see what he done for you? It's by love. And love brings obedience. Love brings courtship. Love brings marriage. And that's where we're headed, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a natural progression there, right? That love brings obedience. If I I love the Lord Jesus, I'm going to do whatever. I, I, I didn't include the quote here, but Brother Branham said, you find ways to live in a way that pleases Him when you love Him. You're not... You know, Jesus came along and dealt with, lived among worshiped among a bunch of legalists all around him. And he gets up and makes a statement and says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just an extraordinary thing for them to hear. Nobody had ever taught that before. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Commandments are always kept because there was a fear of punishment. Well, in our situation, under the grace dispensation that we're living, we don't serve the Lord because we're afraid of getting caught or afraid it's going to cost me two turtle doves. We serve the Lord because we love him. Because we're under grace, right? To take that grace and to throw it back in the face of God and say, Well, I got another opinion about that. I, again, uh, I, I just, I, I fear for you. I do, because everything in the scripture and everything in the message teaches me that's not the way to think about this. So, again, that's, I'm done with the introduction. But let me say this. That no matter what the issue, and no matter what the issue in particular is, whether it's finances, whether it's election, whether it is family, or whatever else, when we are challenged, we're always challenged to come back to and align ourselves and our thinking with the word, even when you don't like it. Because otherwise, the word absolute has no meaning. It's like going to the Supreme Court, losing your case, and standing outside on the steps of the Supreme Court saying, all right, where do we go now? You knucklehead. It's over, buddy. It's done. Give it up. Right? It's, it, to me, it's astounding that people who have been raised in this message and know better will stand there and say, well, I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what Brother Branham says. And I don't care what the Bible says. Who's next? Give it up. In Ecclesiastes 5, let's look at what the Bible says about vows. Vows are very important. And I'll show you how important they are in the Bible. But there's three places in the beginning, the middle, and the end of Scripture that refer to vows. Very quickly, I'm not going to belabor the point, but I want to give you a few key statements here that are found in Scripture. One you're going to turn to with me, and then some incidents where Brother Branham talks about vows in a very direct way. Here's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. When thou vowest a vow to God, defer not to pay it. If you make a vow, just make sure you follow through. For he hath no pleasure in fools pay that which thou hast vowed, better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. I, I mean, there's a lot of application to this, and one of them is what sometimes people don't like to hear, is that when you apply for a credit card and they make you sign an application, you have signed a promise. You're making a promise to repay. You can't default on that. As a Christian, you can't default on that because you made a promise to repay. And I will tell you, it's better for you not to have gotten the credit card than to got the credit card, run up a big bill on it that you couldn't pay, and then say, well, I'm going to go bankrupt. Uh, I got news for you that's contrary to Scripture. It's also contrary to Scripture for you to say that, uh, dear, uh, would you marry me? and I will take you to be my lawful wedded wife, and here's the ring, and give her the ring. And then a month later, turn and say, I don't think I'm going to do that now, and take that ring back. Let me assure you, you're better off not making that vow than to make it and try to wiggle out of it. Because I'm going to have something to say to you when that rejected one comes to my office with their parents and says can this person remarry? I'm going to have something to say to you. And if you're some knucklehead, yahoo, who wants to, you know, play the game with every girl out there and then change your mind after she's got a ring on her finger, I have something to say to you. Or a girl that does the same thing. And listen, I'm not saying these things because they don't happen. They do happen. But my job is not to make you do anything. My job is to give you what I've already described as the whole counsel of God. So if I die tomorrow, if Brother David and I go off the cliff on on the fancy gap mountain and you never see us again, you will have heard. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. When thou shalt vow, vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God shall surely require it of thee. God will require it of you, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. you got to be real careful with what you say. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. That's why Jesus lit into the Pharisees when they said, Oh, uh, but we've changed the rule when it comes to offerings. And if, and if it's Corban, remember that one? And, and if it's Corbin, we've changed that. If it's already designated for the temple, we don't have to give it to our parents, even though the law says you gotta look after, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus caught him right in this. And he said, but you, you've, you've, you've professed the law. You professed to follow the law. And here's the law. And Jesus takes him right back to this and says, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. So, let me tell you something. God has a pretty good memory. Here's an example of that in Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, and here's the principle, because it doesn't mention the word vow right here. But when thou shalt vow, vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. Sorry, I went back, didn't I? Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? and he said to him hey when it was in your possession he said you could have done what you whatever you wanted to with it and you could have told us that hey we're giving 80% of the sale of our land you know to the church here for the uh, for the need of the people but they were trying to impress and they were trying to uh, you know l- l- have a certain image and look a certain way and the holy spirit didn't like that and so he exposed that lie And obviously they suffered the judgment for it, because God doesn't want you to say one thing and then turn around and do something else and feel like you're actually smarter than God and outwitting him and you got a better idea and all the rest of it. Don't play those games with God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That's what we've we've read there. Now, if you don't mind, uh, let's let's take a look at a a little idea here. And uh, this is important. In Jacob's... Uh, journey. He leaves his house. You remember after uh, he has the row with his brother Esau. You remember that story and uh, Jacob goes in dressed like his brother, smells like his brother, serves the savory meat like his brother and Isaac is near blind and he doesn't recognize that this is not Esau and so he gives the blessing to Jacob. Now Brother Branham says that God would have given the blessing to, uh, to Jacob because he was in he was in the lineage of Christ, and uh, so God would have eventually given it to him. But he and his mom cons- you know, connived and made this plan, and you know the story. So Jacob rose up in the mer- early in the morning, and he-, he took the stone that he used for his pillow. So Jacob's running. He's going to Laban's house to try to find himself uh, a wife. On his way, he sleeps overnight. He uses the pillow for a stone, and that's the night that he had the dream of the ladder going up and down to heaven. You remember that? You Bible readers and, and, uh, saw the angels going up and down in heaven and, you know, uh, Jacob's impressed with this place and, you know, it, it's, it's an astounding, uh, dream for him. And so he, he takes the pillow and he sets it up for a pillar. He turns the, 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 the place now into a, if you like, a monument and sets up his pillow as a, uh, a pillar there and poured oil upon the top of it. And, As he did that, if you have your Bible, it's okay if we take a minute to look at it? Because this is kind of an important little principle here. Genesis chapter 18. Sorry, Genesis 28. There's two places in the Bible I want you to look at, and this is one little story. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 18. And he called the name of that place, I'm in 19, 28, 19. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel meaning uh, the house of God. And the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me. Now watch what he says. If God, This is the vow. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go. And will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. So that I come again to my father's house in peace then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, it shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I shall surely give the tenth of it to thee. So, Lord, I'm going to anoint this pillar right here. And right here, I'm going to make a vow. And I'm going to go on my journey. But, Lord, I'm going to make a vow to you that if I go and you be with me, that when my time is up and I'm to come back, I'm going to come right back to here and I'm going to give you a tenth of all that I have. That's the promise I'm going to make to you. If you'll be with me as I go. Because he doesn't know where he's going, really. And he doesn't know what's going to befall him. So he makes that vow to God, that promise to God. Lord, you be with me and I'll come back here and I'll, you know, I'll do the uh, requirement here of giving you a tithe of everything that I have. Genesis chapter 30. So 14 years have passed now. At least 14 years have passed in Genesis chapter 30 and in verse 25. This is kind of a long story, and you can read it. And you're probably familiar with most of it here. But it came to pass, 25, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob had said unto Laban, Send me away now, that I may go unto my own place, to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I am served, and let me go, for thou knowest the service which I have done. Now, Laban jumps in here, and he begins to stall, and he says, Well, hey, hold on now. Don't make any rash decisions. But Jacob is already feeling... This is my time to go, and I need to go now because I made a promise to God. Laban is interfering. That's why God is the only place that God ever comes to Laban. And he says eventually to Laban, take your hands off Jacob. You leave him alone and don't interfere with him. That's the only time God ever speaks to Laban. But he gives Laban a very clear warning. And if you go down to verse chapter 31, and we're looking at verse 13 here. And it says i in mean, genesis thirty one verse thirteen and i am god I am the god of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar. In the previous verse, at the end of it it says, when, when Jacob has this dream, let's read from verse 11, And the angel of the Lord spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, I am here. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which uh, leap upon the cattle, a ringstrake, speckled and grizzle. For I have seen all that Laban has done unto you. I know why you haven't left yet. Laban jumped in the way. I'll take care of Laban. Don't you worry. But I want you to remember something. I'm the God of Bethel. I'm the God that spoke to you there. And I'm the God you made the vow to. So don't tell me that God doesn't think vows are important because he's here years later reminding, remember Bethel, buddy? And you remember what happened at Bethel, buddy? You made a vow. And I'm here to remind you that I'm the God of Bethel. And he says, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out of the land and return unto the land of thy kindred. Now we're going to have you fulfill the rest of this vow because... A vow is a vow, and nothing's going to stand in the way of you remembering and fulfilling that vow. Don't tell me that God doesn't take vows seriously. He he really does. Can I go a little further with this? All right, let's talk specifically about marriage vows. And now the reason I talk about this, you say, Brother Barry, aren't you going backwards? I mean, if we're talking about courtship and things like that, aren't you kind of upside down here backwards? Uh, let me say this, that all the interactions and all, you know, the, uh, the the dealings with boys and girls and stuff, they eventually come to this. So I wanted to frame this conversation with this and underscore the fact that where uh, the relationship with a boy and a girl leads to is this moment when somebody makes a question, somebody presents a question, and somebody has to give a response. And I want you, when you come to that place, to feel prepared for that moment and I want to do everything I can and being proactive to encourage you young people and encourage you parents to encourage your young people that whenever that happens, we're going to get it right. Because there ain't no second chances and we're going to get it right. So therefore... I, I wanted to kind of drive this stake in because this is the end of the courtship phase, and now I want to go back and just articulate a few things that I don't think will be much new, but just to go back and articulate a few things that are biblical and message-based message, uh, and, and to be able to make sure that you understand that if we're going to get here properly and get through this gate of the vow, and we've got to make sure that we do some things back here so that when we come to here, we do the right thing. This should not be a guess. This should not be, well, I hope so. This should not be, well, it feels real good. That's what this should not be. This should be, thank you, Lord. I believe you've led me to this moment. Lord, I believe this is the will of God for my life now. As far as I know, by faith, I'm making this step here as I feel like this is what God wants me to do. I felt like that when I got there. And I didn't even have me teaching me. I'm only kidding. Because a lot of people will come to me afterwards and say, where were you 30 years ago? And I often respond and say this, where was I 30 years ago? I needed me 30 years ago too. because." But you know what? God has his timing. God knows exactly how to get things right and all the rest of it. But when I came to that place, the Baskin sister Becky, I, I knew... I knew that that was the will of God for me. And I prayed she would agree with that. And she did. Marriage vows. All right, Here He hymn 1957. And Brother Branham's talking about his wife. He said, now she's around here somewhere. She hides from me because he's afraid I'm going to make her stand up. I certainly, (laughs) that's a big fear for some women. I certainly would pray that every young person here, when you get married, are just as happy with your wife and happy together as Mrs. Branham and I are living together for the Lord, raising our children. And I love her. And she loves me. And we just love the Lord together. And We feel that the Lord has put us together. And I hope we remain that way as long as our life's in our body and live in glory together someday. I want you to be able to say, I feel like the Lord put us together. I want, as a pastor of this church, I want to be able to marry the young people in our church. I'd like to do that. It breaks my heart. It is heartbreaking when for some reason or another a pastor can't marry the people in his own church. That's how I feel about it. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to pronounce the blessing of God as the representative of the kingdom. That's what I am. Upon that couple and pray God's choicest blessing to rest upon them and see them kiss for the first time at the altar And everything be clean, innocent, and right in the eyes of God. And I will ask, and I do ask, if this is the first kiss. So yeah, there's no mystery, no surprises. But I will tell you, that's that's my goal. The only way that we can accomplish that is to be proactive and teach and encourage you parents to take this serious. Because, let me tell you, your kids at a very early age are discussing and exposed to things that you were not exposed to at their age. Even if if you think your house is hermetically sealed and uh, you know there's no, no virus germs and there ain't no Laodicea getting in, your kids are exposed to things because they have interaction with other kids in the church. So don't kid yourself. You need to be thinking about this. You need to be proactive even at an early age. But we feel like the Lord's put us together. You'll stay together if the Lord puts you together. You'll have success in life if the Lord puts you together. And that should be your goal. Then you should be saying, now, Lord, bring me to that person. Lord, lead me to that place. Lord, help me to walk as a Christian until then. Lord, preserve that girl or preserve that boy until I find them. And give me the strength of character to be able to hold myself as a Christian until that particular time. And Lord, give me the courage to say that no matter how bleak the situation looks, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Despite what everybody else might be doing, I'm going to trust you with my dying breath that you have my life in your hands and you're going to lead me. Are we okay? All right, let's go a little further. Here's a quote, here's a a principle that you need to understand really clearly. When it comes to engagement, Brother Branham took a strict stand and drew a clear line in the sand about that when a person agrees to be married in engagement, that to him, that was the same as being married. Let's read what he says. There are many, many quotes related to this. 1963, espousing in the the East, in the Bible days and in Bible culture, was the same as marriage is betrothal, betrothal or engagement. As soon as they were espoused, they were married. When the sacred vow between them was taken, Deuteronomy 22, you'll find out that when this woman and man agreed to be married, yet they did not take the vows Four months later. If they broke that vow, they were guilty of adultery. That's a tough statement. That's a hard thing. What's he basing it on? I know a lot of people don't agree with that. They really don't. And I'll tell you when people don't agree with it most is when it's their child. And when you have skin in this game, you're going to react differently to this. Don't tell me that's not true. Don't tell me that. Because you can sit there and... and I'm not talking to you. I'm saying, but people can sit there and say amen to that. But when it's their child, oh, but Brother Barry, you don't know the whole story you don't know that there's an exception. Okay. Better make your argument good. Here's where I need you to look. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Because I often wondered why Brother Branham took such a hard stand on this, such a clear stand on this. Deuteronomy 22 deals with the law of brotherhood. It deals with the law of separation. It deals with the law of the innocent wife. There's lots of really good information in here. Now, don't shy away from the fact, oh, well, I'll tune in when Brother Barry goes to the New Testament. I was reading a statement today where Brother Branham was responding to a question in Questions and Answers, and they were asking him about remarriage. And he says, oh, quickly, go back to the Old Testament here and watch the principle in the Old Testament here. Because he... He, he knew that we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, if God condemns something back here and he doesn't change that, then in his eye, that's still condemnation So or approval, either way. And so Brother Branham was not afraid to go back and use these scriptures. Now, if you, if you don't mind, drop down to verse 22. He gives a couple of what-ifs, and these are really good. If a man be found lying with a woman... Married to an husband. This is adultery. Okay, first case, this is adultery. Then they both of them shall die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall thou put away evil from Israel. Now um, this is pretty clear, right? If if they're caught in adultery, that's why they brought that woman to Jesus, right? Because they found them both in adultery. They both should die. This is is under law. This is the law that was given there. In other words, if nothing else, remember this, that God deals with a situation like this with a very harsh view. This is something he does not like. God does not like sexual sin and this is something that God deals with and this was his response to it in the first place. Let's go to another condition. 23. If a damsel that is a virgin, watch this, be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her. Then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of the city, and, she shall, and ye shall stone them with stones, that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city. And the man, because he hath humbled his neighbors, what does it say? Wife. In the eyes of God, she's considered his wife. She's considered the wife of another man. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. So you can see why Brother Branham considered that if a woman was betrothed, then in the eyes of God, she is essentially married. You see why? In verse 23, If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband. She's not married, but she is engaged. Then we're going to stone her and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife. I mean, that's pretty strict. 25, what if? But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, and the man only, uh, then the man only that lay with her shall die. This is the situation of rape. But unto the damsel shalt thou do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and a betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. You see the difference. He says in in verse 23, if a damsel is in the city, logically in the city, someone's going to respond. Someone's going to hear. But if the situation is that she's in the field and no one's within earshot, and this goes on. Then we're going to deal with the man, not the woman here. So God's you know, going down through the law. 28, last one. And if a man find a damsel that is a virgin which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found, what happens? Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver, and shall be his wife because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all these days. This is how God views it. And You say, okay, well, I can take any woman at all, pay 50 shekels, and just marry her, and I'll be good. I'd caution you to take a breath before you do that. Because if I had a daughter, I wouldn't want her to get married this way. I wouldn't want to have these conditions exist where this happens, and in any of these scenarios, including the last one. Because here's Brother Branham, he's, he's referring to this, when that sacred vow between them was taken. And he says, I didn't include this, but he says, Deuteronomy chapter 22, you'll find out when this uh, woman and man agreed to be married, and if they broke that, they were guilty of adultery. So there's Brother Branham reaching back to some of these examples here, and he's looking at this, and he's giving us some direction here. All right. Believing God. Now, this is a great story, and I, um, you're familiar with it. This is the woman who came to Brother Branham. She called up. Uh, she, was a pastor, she was a member of Brother Johnson's church in Louisville. She, he, he, she was a Sunday school teacher. Her husband was a Sunday school teacher, and she's, she's declaring that she's possessed by demons, and she comes to Brother Branham, and she wants to have an answer. She wants to cast out. Sunday school teacher. It's a great class, doing a good work, but just that hung over her brother Branham says he agrees he says all right bring her over we'll we'll just talk to her so he's just talking to her and he says i didn't know what to do and i said all right come on up and people come we just stopped everything and i got her in a room and i sat down and started talking about genealogies and in the, in the beginning of time and watching her all the time he's talking to her and he's just watching her he's watching for some sort of a atmosphere change some sort of a change in her spirit and he said, God's always there at the crucial moment. And he says, you know, after a while I looked out and there came a vision. And I said, your condition had something to do with an automobile. And she said, no, I'd never been in a wreck. Now he said, I see you in a car. You almost got hit by a train as they were straddling the, the train line. And he said, you were, uh, you were straddling the or God almost got hit by a train. And she jumped. And he said, yes, you're not with your husband when you're with another man. Your husband was overseas in the war at the time. Now she reacts. I said, the things that you've done, the immoral things, you told him about some of it, but you didn't tell him about it all. I, I mean, people, people have a peanut brain and they want to play with God. And here's a prophet saying, you told some of it, but you didn't tell all of it. And I can tell you what you didn't tell never met the woman before. This happens over a period of about 15, 20 minutes and he's looking at her. He's looking at a vision. The vision doesn't lie and he's looking at this and she's trying to hide this and she started screaming and holding her face and you were going to have an operation not long ago for your tonsils and you were afraid to take anesthetic. You'd tell that, that, you'd tell that under the anesthetic. So you'd talk crazy like my son Steve under the anesthetic and it would be, you know, a rash. You'd just scream it out. And she just screamed and fell on the floor. And she said, that's the truth. And then Brother Branham says, how can you ever get anywhere with that hanging over you? In another place, he says, how can Brother Johnson ever have a revival in his church when he's got that ongoing with his Sunday school teachers and he said, "And, the, and the, the wife here, and he's also involved as well. And she said, I ask God to forgive me. And I said, you never sinned against God. You sinned against your husband and your vows. So you know what? You have to make it right this way, but you've got to make it right this way. And you can't do part of it. you got to make the thing right. He says, you go back and make that right. Then come. I can control the demon then. Imagine, the demon has free reign. As long as she's under the assumed principle that if I tell God I'm forgiven. You see, people can make their own principles out of the Bible. Right? There are true principles. But there are principles that people make out of convenience. Oh, I felt this way, or had a dream, or someone told me, or someone prophesied, or something else. Hey, I'll take that. I'll take whatever. Whatever supports my cause, I'll take that. Come on, I'm not making this up. And, but you don't know, Brother Barry, there's an exception. In this case, there's an exception here. And Brother Brandon, in, in, in the telling of this story, and he tells it many times. In the last telling of the story, let me give you this little footnote here as a bonus, just so you can remember this. Brother Branham, he 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 folds his arms. He says, "There's nothing more I can do until you repent." And how you repent is go to your husband and tell him. But she said, "When you go tell him, he's got something to confess to you also." She said, "No, huh?" And so they go and they they talk to one another. And uh, uh, brother, you know, they come back and they both met Brother Branham. They both repented, made things right. Listen, the man said to Brother Branham, he's a Sunday school teacher and he's a deacon in that church. And he tells Brother Branham, I'm going back to resign my post, and I'm just going to get out of it altogether and and just leave the post. Brother Branham says, no, don't do it. He said, you've already made it right with your wife and made it right with God. That man became eventually the pastor of that church and lived until he was 99 and died just a few years ago. Because he had done the right thing, and in the eyes of God he was forgiven, and went on and pastored that church after, after Brother Johnson died, whoever Pastor Johnson was, and went on because he had done the right thing, made it right, and went on and became the pastor and lived until he was 99 years old. Yeah, they had made a mess, but you know what? There's a right way to come back. There's always a right way to come back if you humble yourself before God. You don't have to humble yourself before me, but you have to humble yourself before God. There's always a right, right way back. All right, Brother Branham, what is the meaning of an annulment? Are people free to marry, or is this just another word for divorce? I'd like some information on this. Stop. In, nine, in the early 1960s, annulment became a kind of a, an up-and-coming thing because of Vatican II. Annulment was not such a great thing in the Protestant ranks, but it was in the Catholic ranks. And if you paid enough money and you knew enough priests and archbishops, you could, you know, slide some money there and here and, and get an annulment for your marriage. Now, that meant your children were labeled a certain label, but nonetheless, you could have your marriage dissolved if you wanted to marry another, uh, another woman. And so annulment was the talk back in that day. I lived in that day and I know what I'm talking about. And so they ask Brother Branham, well, okay, I mean, is there such a thing as annulment, or are people free, or is that another word for divorce? Here's what he says. Here's his answer. Sure, they're married. As long as they take the vow, they're married. Sure, they're married. As long as they take the vow, they're married. I'm just saying what the tapes say, all right? Just like, if a do you see why that this is really the second most important decision in your life? And next to the decision to surrender your life to Christ, this ranks right up there next to it because you want to get it right. Just like any boy, if he promises a girl to marry under good faith, he's obligated to that girl. He's just as good as married to her. And the only thing the law does is give you a bill of rights so that you don't have to live common law, but now you can be man and wife, tax reasons, all the other benefits. But when a woman man tells a woman well i'll marry you honey and i'll take you from my wife and she agrees to that he said the vow is sacred that's what marries you it's not just because you're asked but when they agree and they exchange a ring and there's a you know a commitment made to one another there's no preacher can marry you magistrate nothing else it's your own vow to god to this man when you promise you're married he says do you want the bible on it and he goes back to joseph and mary And he says, little lady, if you promise to marry the boy, you're obligated to do it. If you marry another after that obligation, from now on, you'll be living in adultery. And the same thing to a boy promising to marry a woman. Don't you make your vow unless you're mean to stick with it. He's talking biblically here. That's what the Bible said. We read that. You have to keep your vows when you promise a woman that. She's a sacred little vessel. That's to bring a child into the world again. And see when you promise her, you must marry her. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm sorry because I know I've read this, and I know you, you've read it, and so on. I'm sorry. But to me, is there anyone unclear about what I just read? Is there anything unclear about what I'm saying tonight? And I, I don't, I'm not trying to be uh, sarcastic. I, I'm just all I'm, all I'm just wanting to be sure is that we, as a church here at HBT, that we understand as parents and grandparents and, and ministers and elders, and, and our young people, understand. You understand what, how serious a thing this is, and I, I don't want you to get it wrong. I'm being proactive. I'm, I'm, I'm reinforcing this, and I'm underscoring, and I'm highlighting it, and I'm, I'm saying it loud and clear, because I want you to get it right the first time, so that we don't have to try to fix this. So we don't have to try to patch this. So we don't have to try to talk about remarriage. If you're a member of John Hagee's church out there in Texas, they have 30 counselors, who are full-time on staff with the job of remarrying people in their assembly. Thirty full-time counselors who work at remarrying people within their church. Because the moment you step outside the boundaries of this message, you're into a marriage and divorce quagmire. Because marriage and divorce only means anything to people within the message. It does not mean a thing to everybody else. And out there in the world, out there in the the nominal church, they're as much or more messed up as when the day Brother Branham addressed it in February 1965. And if you depart from this, you're out in that. And I will tell you what, the message is a lot murkier and a lot more unclear out there. COD 1964, I'm almost done. We were married 21 years ago by the justice of the peace. Was it wrong? Some of you may have been. I know some people have been. been, And I'd I'd, I'd, I'd like to reinforce it with this quote again. Yes, it was wrong for you to do that. Marriage belongs in the house of God. But being that you are married. Here's a prophet. My goodness. It's amazing. But being that you are married, here's when you're really married. Let's clear this up, he says. Here's when you're really married. You're married when you vow one to another and when you promise one to another that, that you'll take one another. In other words, folks, don't look at this legally as a question here. Look at it biblically. Biblically, here's when you were married. The justice of the peace would give you a license, you know, and so forth. He says when you promise that girl, that's that's when you're married, just the same as adultery. He says if you break that, he goes on. He says the question was was the annulment same as divorce? And he's he's blending two questions here now. Okay, it was the one that we just read about annulment, and he's answering this one here, and he says. Watch. When you ask me these questions, do you realize I'm talking about my own son, Billy Paul? Would I spare Billy Paul? No, indeed. Billy Paul got married to some little girl and come up to me and said, Daddy, I'm going to get married. And I was washing my car and I said, But your head against the wall. Keep on washing my car like that. And he said, No, I'm going to get married. And I said, I'll go on. And he goes and tells his mother. And his mother laughed at him. And you know what he done? He ran off with the little kid, still in common school, and got married. Brother Branham said, "We annul the wedding. The father of this girl and myself. We annul the wedding, but he was married just the same." Now watch this. Watch what he says, because you know, like I said, that people uh, will sit there and say, "Amen," all until the cows come home. Until it's their family, right? And then all of a sudden, now hold on. Now you know what? I think there's another church down the road, and they don't preach it like that, or whatever. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not being funny here, I, not at all. But when you have, when you, when it's your family, your children here, this, this is what matters. And I want you to think about this like it is your children, so that we teach our children right. We reinforce things, and and Sunday school, and everything else we can do to instill this in children so they make the right decisions here. To me, as early as we can teach it, the better off we'll all be. But here's Brother Branham, and he's looking at his own son here, and he's looking at his grandchildren. And I will tell you that Brother Branham never went inside the door of Billy Paul's house with Lois until after marriage and divorce. They were married and had four children. All four of them died in childbirth. And if you go to Jeffersonville at Brother Branham's grave, there's four little tombstones there that are white that have little lambs on them. And those are the four grandchildren that Brother Branham had that all died prior to marriage and divorce, and he never went under the roof of their house until after God said to, to him to tell him, I forgive you, don't do it again. Here's what Brother Branham said. He come to me with this girl he lives with now. He come to me with the girl he lives with now. This is 1964. He doesn't say he came to me with his wife. He doesn't say he come to me with the girl he married. He said he come to me with the girl he lives with now, my daughter-in-law, my little grandson. He said, Daddy, will you marry me? And I said, by no. You know what that is? That's a man who's got the guts to stand with the scripture. He's practicing what he preaches, even if it hurts him to the core because it's his own son. He said, that's my own son. You think that don't cut me to the core when I packed him in my arms and done everything I could do. And I've been both mother and father to him. You don't think it kills me to say that. But he said, it's the truth and I'm duty bound to that word. Let me ask you, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to compromise here and there and shave it off here and there? Unless I'm missing it, folks. Unless, and I'm being honest here. Unless I'm missing it and I'm missing the point or I'm too old and I've, I'm somehow, you know. But I'll say this. In fairness to the young people here who have gotten married and are getting married and doing it right, I want to say to you, I encourage you because God will honor that. God will respect that. And God will honor your household up the road and bless your union and all the rest of it when you do it right. And, you know, some of you single folks that are here and single adults and seeking a mate and doing it the right way and fasting and praying. And I know some of you are. And I don't want to name names here. But I know some of you are. Let me tell you, God will honor that. God respects that. When a person puts themselves at the mercy of God and say, Lord, guide my footsteps here and help me to be a man of character until a woman of character until that person comes and just guide me in my life here. Let me tell you, God doesn't, God doesn't, uh, you know, turn a, an eye away from that. I believe that He honors that. Even if I'm old fashioned or whatever else and I'm, all, I'm off the mark or whatever else. I will say this. I would say to every one of you, stay with the Word not what you feel, not what you think, not what you had in a dream, but stay with the word because that's what God's going to honor. I say, you got married by a magistrate? He's still on that that question. He said, you should have been married by the church, by the minister. Watch. That's a decent thing to do for a Christian, to do it in the church, have the uh, representative of the kingdom put a blessing on that. But being you have already made that promise and vow and been married 21 years, I think it's all right the question might be, should I come and be married again? He said, if you want to. I've done that here in this church. I've done that to couples before. We're married by the magistrate or married uh, in different ways. And some of your families, I've done it here. If there's no question, if there's no issue, there's no impediment, I'm glad to. But here's the thing: don't have anything in your mind that hinders your faith. You go down to the river, and we're ending, in, you know, we're ending the world. You don't want to say, ah, oh, you know, that's one thing I wish I had done. Don't do that. If if you need to do something like that, hey, I'm, I'm available. All you can do is just give me a shoot me a line. Glad to do it. If there's no impediment there, glad to do it. Don't have anything in your mind if that bothers your faith, because anything's there, you go no further than right there. You stop right there. When that questions come, that's where you end right there. A man that baptized me in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's still on the same question now. Uh, baptized me in the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, uh, finally run me out of the church because I wouldn't agree with him on women preachers. We're right back to the women preachers thing. Brother Branham made a stand right there because he knew that was biblical. The principle was that a woman should not preach. Brother Bram stands on the principle and now down the road he said... I, I, I wanted him to baptize me. He said that didn't make me get rebaptized again because he did, you know, he believed in that and run me out of the church. He said, but if he never even had the ceremony set over him, no matter if he lived with that woman or slept with her, when he made that vow, he's married Billy Paul or no Billy Paul. Have you got the courage to say that about your own kids and your own situation there? That's, listen. This is not easy. This is a tough thing, and that's why I'm saying it. and I'm saying it the way I'm saying it tonight. And here's Numbers 30, as we, <coughs> as we, we, Brother Branham referred to there, when a father hears that vow in the hour, in the day, he hears it, he can go and, dis and all that vow. That's what Brother Branham did. He acted on Numbers 30. You know, here's the thing. Uh, and I, I just I'll close with this. And as a matter of fact, uh, Sister Lillian and musicians here, if you come. I was in Atlanta. I had to take six different flights to get home starting Sunday morning at three o'clock. And I, six takeoffs, six landings. Hard on a fellow's ears. And I got to Atlanta and when I got to Atlanta, we landed at Terminal F. My next flight home, the last one, was Terminal D. I had to take the train three terminals down to get to the Next flight. Only had a very short period of time. Had a squeeze, short period of time. When I get to the gate, we get out and go through customs, come down to the bottom, and here I am at the standing at the train. Train doors are open. I said, got in there, waiting, waiting. Doors never closed. Waiting, waiting. Two policemen are standing next to me here, and they're kind of, and then they were talking on the radios, and they got off the train and went off. There's a Delta mechanic standing next to me on the other side. And he's uh, he's getting kind of concerned because he said, you know, these trains never stop. They never stop. They always run. And they do. And it's a good thing they do because it's a long way between terminal buildings. And I, so I started quizzing him. And I said, you can walk, can't you? I said, I I think I've done it once before, a long time ago. He said, yeah, you can walk. He said, you can do it. It's a long walk. He said, you can do it. And then they started to announce on the thing there, and they said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have the train operating in just a moment here, and so people are you know, getting a little worried because everybody's got a flight to Cats. That's why you're in the airport. And then they come on again. They said, ladies and gentlemen, our train is not going to run for a little while. And all of a sudden, everybody bolts off the train going up the escalator. We're up on top there. Now, I know the way to go because Atlanta Airport's my second home. And I'm, I'm moving around here and it's like the end of the world. That's what it's like because people now... I mean, and I watch, they have families with strollers and they got luggage and they got kids and they got all kinds of gear and they're, they're, come on, where do we go? And they're stopping everybody and there's people standing in the aisle saying, keep going this way. Keep. And people don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And uh, so <laughs> this is a funny little thing that happened. It was one of those at the airport that have great big, long escalators which go like two and three floors. They're big, long ones in Atlanta. And as the escalator's full and everybody's trying to get up to this floor to go from the trains up, and all of a sudden in the middle of it, it stopped. The escalator stopped. And people are like, no trains, no escalators. And what was really funny was instead of just going up the escalator, they all came down. And instead of just like walking up like normal stairs, I don't know what the thinking was, but I was at the bottom, very bottom, I was coming to the escalator, and I saw they were at the top, they turned around and came down the escalator. I just simply said, follow me, and I walked up the stairs. And I'm, I'm going up the stairs, but I said to myself just under my breath, I didn't want to say it loud, but I said to myself, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. And people are—I mean—they're in a panic. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And so I'm hoofing at three uh, terminals, going to, from F over to over to E, and then down to D. And I mean, I wasn't worried because I knew—basically, I'd done it one time, a long time ago—and I, I knew I could get there. I knew the way. I was pretty content with that. All I'm saying, to you and giving you a little illustration, is simply this: that <clears throat> we're, we're at a. For, from everything I know we're at a point where this thing could stop, and when it stops, you know what Grace will run out i'm not trying to scare anybody, but that's bible stuff i mean it's going to run out you're going to have nowhere else to go you're going to have to you're going to have to hoof it you're going to have to somehow navigate yourself through this because there's no train to take it there's no system in place anymore to take you. And at that point, and now there's no escalator. I mean, you've really got nothing now but your own power. I don't want to be operating under my own power in this hour. I don't want to be making decisions under my own power now. My goodness. I want to be in his will. I want to be humble enough to say, you know what? I was wrong about how I thought. I was wrong about the decisions that I'm making here. And, and to be able to turn around and go the other way and, and to be able to, to have that ability to repent and turn and just submit yourself to the Word of God and say, Lord, I don't really understand that, but it's your Word. And I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to live that way. God will honor that. God will bless you for that. But when you stand there and you say, you know what? I got another idea. Thanks, but I got another idea. I will say this to you, and I'm not speaking to you, I'm just saying in general, you're not going to mess up this church with that attitude. I'm going to overteach it. I'm going to teach over the top of that. And if it's just me left, but I feel like the Word of God is true. I feel like the message is right. And I'm going to teach it. By God's grace. I'm going to teach it. I, I, I don't. It's not my nature to offend anyone or anything else. But whenever it comes to a situation like with our young people, whatever happens among those young people, it becomes like a standard. All right. Oh, okay. That's how Brother Barry reacts to that. Or if I married a couple that had been divorced and remarried, now they want to remarry. Well, everybody in the church would sit back and say, "Oh, wow. That's how Brother Barry stands. That's where he stands." He, went and did that so when i make a decision or why do something it it, it affects everybody and you know what I, I will tell you that i came here in the first place to preach this message to the people who are here and nothing's changed so i just i I, I pray for you and I pray for your families all the time. I find I pray and I ask God to help me to find ways to minister to our older people, our single people, our kids, our you know our married couples, as much as we're able to do it and all of that. And I, you're worth it. To me, you're worth it. And I, I'm I just going to continue to do that. And if you want to come on for the journey, come along. But we're not here to play games. We're not here to fool around. We're not here to, you know, just try to reinterpret things. Not at all. May God have mercy on us all. Let's stand to our feet. There is
4: power in the name of Jesus. I know there's power.
3: Because as believers we believe your word we want to know the standards we want to know them clearly we want to get it right we don't want to come to the end of the road and feel we're find out that we are wrong lord we want to get it right forgive me lord if i've said anything that may in any way be out of the way or contrary to the teaching of your word Lord, I pray you'd help us right where we are. Knowing, Lord, that we live in a really, really important time. And what we're doing here is important. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us forward. Help us in the days that lay ahead now. I commit the people to you. Commit each one that's streaming. Commit, Lord, your the families and those who are sick and needy, I commit them to you. And ask in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would make your word clear. Make it clear in every heart. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that in all we do, we would bring honor and glory to your name. Because you're the only one who deserves it.